Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect way to take your brand to the next level? Want to reach a dedicated, engaged audience that's all ears? With Audiohook.com, you can do just that. Audiohook is the premier podcast advertising platform, connecting advertisers with some of the best podcasts in the world. Audiohook uses advanced targeting techniques to ensure your message reaches the right ears at the right time. With detailed analytics, you'll be able to track your campaign's performance and optimize your strategy for maximum impact. Plus, their team of experts are there every step of the way, providing guidance and support to make your campaign a success. So, whether you're a startup, a small business owner, or a marketing pro, Audiohook is your one-stop shop for podcast advertising success. Head over to audiohook.com to start your journey today. Hey there, folks. This is Justin Hiles of the Viva Cats podcast, which is now proudly presented by the Big 12's premier podcasting group, the 1012 Network. My co-host Steve and I cover all the ins and outs of Cincinnati football and basketball, for better or for worse. We release a new episode every single week, sometimes with guests, sometimes it's just the two of us kicking back talking Bearcats. So, if you like raw emotion and heavy recency bias, we are definitely victims of that. It clouds our conscious, and it should cloud yours too. We also have an every once in a while Twitter Spaces post-game review on our page at Pod on Twitter, where we invite all of our friends and enemies to discuss everything that we just witnessed minutes prior. If you like your podcast with a laid-back environment, way too serious about stupid ideas, the deepest of stat pools, or just straight-up white noise, then you've come to your one-stop shop for everything Bearcats. Viva the Cats. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we have a couple different things that we're doing. The NBA draft was the end of last week, and we have yet to talk about it. So, Kansas had two players taken. Uh, I'm going to be talking about that here with Brandon Dorzinski here in the first segment of the episode. And then after that, we are going to be heading over for college football. We are finally starting our opponent previews. Jeremy Warner of of 24-7 Sports covering Illinois is joining the podcast in the second segment. But let's go ahead and get started with basketball. Brendan, how are you doing today? 
I am doing well, Andy. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. So it was a exciting NBA draft, I think. Um, kind of seeing where where we were going to uh, see Grady Dick go. Uh, he kind of fell a little bit further than I thought, but you know, he went 13th to the Toronto Raptors. I thought the, the Raptors were probably a backstop of like the farthest he was going to fall. Um, just because they were so high on him from everything that I had heard. Um, I actually spoke with, uh, and, and kind of gave some information to the guy, uh, over at, uh, the SI fan nation site that covers the Raptors. And he basically told me that, Hey, if Grady Dick makes it to them, then they're going to take him because they're, they're that excited about the kind of shooter that he is. So let's start there. Um, what kind of fit do you think that is? And how big of a role do you think that Grady Dick is going to have in Toronto this year? I mean, I imagine that he's going to end up with a huge role. They were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the NBA a year ago in terms of number of attempts, in terms of number of makes. And this isn't quite as analytical, but just in terms of number of guys who you would trust to take a three at any given moment. I mean, that's just not really what they did as a team. So knowing that need and knowing that they are in all likelihood probably going to run it back at least to some degree with that roster they had a year ago. I know Fred Van Vliet is a free agent at this point, but it sounds to me, at least what I've read, that the Raptors are going to do everything they can to bring him back. No Pascal Siakam. There have been reports that he wants to come back, not much of a shooter himself. Sounds like they're going to try to keep the band together as much as they can, despite the fact that they're switching over head coaches. So adding a three-point shooter, maybe the best three-point shooter in the entire NBA draft, to a team that as is currently constructed, isn't going to take many of those seems like a pretty logical fit. And I think for Grady, this is a great spot because he's going to get to play a ton. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, I I doubt he's a starter right away. Maybe he's a six man. Maybe he's just a nice piece off the bench, but a guy who comes in his number one skill is the number one thing the Raptors are going to end up needing. And I think it will give him a chance to, for a team that's made up of a bunch of hard-nosed grinders. I mean, that's really who the Raptors were for a lot of the time they played for Nick nurse over the last five years, including that championship season back in 2019 to have a guy who can come in, doesn't need to be relied on for a complete game at this point. And hopefully at some point, I'm sure the Raptors feel this way. You love for him to, you know, develop a little bit more of an offensive game outside of the shot. Although we know he is an underrated creator. He's an underrated cutter and driver to the basket. He can develop that defensive game a little bit. And for now he can step in and look, Grady, here's what you're going to do. Get in the way on defense and then use that rapid fast twitch release on the three-pointer anytime you touch the ball in the winger in the corner. And I think it's pretty safe to say, yeah, he's going to be just fine at that. Plus he was a 40% three point shooter at KU in his one year with the Jayhawks. And he was the guy that teams face guarded. Like teams weren't face guarding Jalen Wilson to get him out of the game. And he was a consensus all American. Yeah. Grady Dick was the guy that they tried to take away. So getting him in that situation where he's not going to be guarded like that, he's going to get open looks and he's going to have a little bit more freedom on offense. Honestly, I think it's about a perfect fit. I'm with you. I thought he'd go a little higher. I thought Orlando at 11 was where he would likely end up. And to be honest, if I was running an NBA team, regardless of need, I would rather have Grady Dick on my team than Jet Howard, but it ends up working out pretty darn well for Grady instead, and I'm excited to see him in Toronto. I I think that Dick jersey is going to be pretty darn popular for Raptors fans here in the near future. Yeah, I, I also think it's one of those things, there's no pressure for him. Like, he has a spot on the roster, because um, they don't have anybody else that can shoot the way, and, and you cannot go through an entire season with a guy that cannot shoot or without a single guy that can shoot from the three. So he has a spot on the roster. He has a role with the team. 
The question always is going to be, can he do more? Can he expand that role over the course of the season? Um, you know, a lot of the things that he did at, at Kansas that he did not get attention for is going to help him really well. I mean, we talk about the kind of motor that he has, the ability to get in there and get sneaky rebounds, you know, to do all kinds of things that you wouldn't necessarily think of from a shooter. Yes, his defense needs some work. Um, but I think a lot of that is just comfort. Like, as he became more comfortable in Bill Self's defense, he never was a lockdown defender, but he was a competent defender by the end of the year. And, you know, that's what I kind of told the the uh, the Raptors guy over at, uh, at Fan Nation was, like, that's what he needs to work on as a defense, but really it's about getting comfortable in the system, understanding the, the fundamentals, using that basketball IQ that he has. He is a guy that is very smart on the basketball court. I, I mean, I don't ever see him running an offense, but I do see him finding creative ways to make an offense more efficient when he's on the floor using that basketball IQ. And, of course, the quick twitch release – you know, from a funky release point, it's going to make it a whole lot easier for him to 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 shoot a lot better. But I, I honestly think that the things that, guy, that guy, the guys are going to notice the most are a lot of the same things that Christian Brown for the Nuggets did this year. Well, you know, being that guy that came off the bench, that gave them that energy, that did a lot of the little things that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Oh, yeah, and by the way, he can actually shoot the three really, really well. So, I mean, it's the perfect kind of role. I was, you know, I was uh, talking about Grady Dick before the draft as a, you know, potentially filling a Christian Brown type role for a team this year. And Toronto is the perfect place for him to do that. Yeah. And I think the one thing that is not necessarily a hindrance to what he can do in his rookie year with the Raptors, but one thing Toronto could also use is more of a playmaking point guard. They had a deep rotation. We actually went through this on 580 sports talk on uh WWW in Topeka right after the draft. Um, the rotation of guys that got point guard minutes for the Raptors last year, a real who's who of who is that is how I would phrase <laughs> it. Uh, guys who I had ne- literally never heard of got point guard minutes for the Raptors last year. So the fact that there's not that creator necessarily, who's going to always find Grady for the open look, maybe that is going to not stunt his growth, but that's going to be a little something he has to overcome because in college he was playing alongside one of the greatest pa- passing creators in college basketball this past year in Dewan Harris. So yes, is he maybe going to have to find his own shot a little bit more? Possibly, but that skill set that that you outlined that I was talking about earlier, that always is going to play in the NBA. And I don't know that there's any team in the league that wouldn't take someone who can be a three-point sharpshooter who's got a decent driving game. And that's not to say uh, he should have been the, the number two pick after Victor Wembanyama, but I'm just saying that skill set will play for pretty much any team in the entire NBA. So yeah. He might have to create a little bit more if Toronto doesn't add another playmaker alongside him at the point guard spot. But I'm pretty confident that that skill set is good enough. He's going to have a very long, very successful career in the NBA. And hell, if he bulks up and gains even a little more prowess on the defensive end, he's, I don't want to say he will be one of the best three and D guys in the league, but I think the clear potential is there for him to be one of the better three and D guys in the league. And that's why you spend a lottery pick on that guy. So I love the fit. And uh, I, I think I'm not going to say he's going to be NBA all rookie team or anything, but I think he's got a chance to be one of the better rookies in the Eastern conference, given how smooth of a transition this should be to a team that desperately needs his skill set badly. Well, I mean, and, and the all rookie team is either guys who are just that good that they take over teams or guys that are in, in very favorable situations that can accentuate what they do well. And I think, you know, I wouldn't guarantee that he's going to be on the team, but he has just as good a shot as any other rookie because of where he's going. Um, you know, you talked about the the uh, the who's who of who is that 
um, you know, in terms of the the point guards, you do not have to worry about that uh, with the sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel, the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, whole bunch more. Look, they have every single school that you can think of for the most part. Um, it's going to, like... Yes, there will be things that will surprise you when you go over to the website, but not because of which schools they are, but because of just how fantastic the logos are, the things that you absolutely never knew existed. So if you go over to homefieldapparel.com, use promo code CHOP12, you can get 15% off your entire first order. Um, At this point, I don't know how many people there are that uh, have not ordered from Homefield yet, but if you are one of those, definitely go over there and take advantage of it. It's a fantastic set of apparel there, and I absolutely love it. I have way too much, and I'm always looking to add more because it's just that great. Again, homefieldapparel.com, promo code CHOP12, get you 15%. 15% off your entire first order. All right. So, um, obviously, the, the draft didn't go quite as well for Jalen Wilson. He kind of dropped a little bit further than I think most people expected him to. I actually was on the call with uh, Bill Self afterwards, his his little presser in the in the car. Um, you know, obviously, he was very happy with her, where Grady Dick went. It was, it was right in line with what they were expecting. I think most people expected Jalen Wilson, myself included, to go in, you know, the mid-30s to early 40s. He did not go until 51 to the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Self did talk about, though, how that might be advantageous for him because he is going to a team that has a former Jayhawk as the head coach uh, in Scott Vaughn. So it will be very interesting to see how Jalen is able to take advantage of that. Um, I also do think that organizationally, like what they need, Jalen Wilson has a, has a chance to fill one of those lower-end roster spots and find himself a niche on that team as well. So Talking about fit, I mean, how do you see the fit of Wilson in that team? And do you think there was a spot where he might have been better served going? You know, that's a good question, the second part there, because so much of it is about projection and and self said it on that call that look, it's about fit when you get to that part of the second round. And maybe a few of those early second round picks, it's like, wow, I can't believe this guy slid or this guy has various questions. That's why we're going to end up taking him. But really, once you get past 40, at the very least, until the end of the draft, it's about, hey, did we have a good workout with this guy? Did we make him a promise? Does he fit X, Y, or Z role for us? Is he a shooter? Is he a big body? You know, whatever it might end up being. And I think it's going to be extremely valuable for this Brooklyn team going forward to just have a guy who is you know old for a college player, but is young, mature, and has a winning pedigree. If you go back and you look at the Nets season before they traded KD and Kyrie and after they traded KD and Kyrie, and I know KD comes with you know whatever baggage, whether that's just the fact that he loves to be online and posting all the time, or you've got other problems with his game as he's getting older. Kyrie, we all know about the baggage that comes with him. They were winning a whole lot more when they had those two guys as opposed to after those two guys got traded, and that's frankly the reason why Brooklyn even made the playoffs at all last year. I think bringing in a guy like Jalen, who athletically has a fairly low ceiling. And I think that is fair to say. I mean, the dude is, you know, six, seven, six, eight, and he could not dunk a basketball. Like we, I don't think he had a single dunk his entire senior season. If I'm not mistaken there, like there's an athletic ceiling for him and it's lower than for a lot of guys who got drafted this past week. That's just the fact of the matter, but he's a guy who is an efficient rebounder. He's got a decent bag scoring the ball. He improved his three point shot quite a bit. And I think, with NBA coaching, he can probably take that even up a slightly higher percentage, and especially since the NBA game is so much more free-flowing. And look, he's mature, and he's a winner. He knows what it takes to win. And, you know, you made the the Christian Brown role comparison for Grady Dick. I look at it in a similar way with this Nets team, though. You know, Christian was brought into Denver because he knew 
how to win. He, he knew what it took, no matter what his role was, to play winning basketball. That's what it was like when he was in high school at Blue Valley Northwest with Ed Fritz. That's what it was like playing for Bill Self for three years in college. That's the kind of player they wanted. I think when you look at Jalen and his fit with the Nets, it's more so about, hey, look, we need we need winners. We need guys who, whether they're a perfect fit for our offensive role, whether they're a perfect fit defensively, whatever it might be, we need guys who are going to come in and play a winning brand of basketball. And Frankly, that kind of thing is valuable when you're picking at the end of the second round. Those contracts are not guaranteed. I don't know if Jalen's going to spend some time in the G League. I don't know if he's going to be rostered for the entire season. I do assume he is going to get plenty of opportunities to make this roster because, you know, you look at a guy like Mikal Bridges, who's a really nice NBA player. Cam Johnson had a really good time, uh, uh, had a time last season when he looked like he might be the next big thing. Thank you for giving me time to correct that. Patty Mills, obviously, he's got a reputation in the league as you know a certain caliber of player. I imagine that's going to continue as his career goes on. Like, there's enough decent pieces that are going to make up the core of the Nets roster, but there's going to be a lot of players on the fringes who saw time last year who aren't going to see time again this year, and I think that's kind of where Jalen is going to fit in. Is there a way that you can see the floor for, you know, eight to 10 minutes a game and do something that is going to help us win games because we're going to be a play in tournament kind of team. We're going to be a fringes of the playoffs kind of team. And I think that makes us a good fit for Jalen. He's going to be able to use his skill set, you know, whatever that is at the NBA level, given the lower athletic projections. And he's going to be able to say, Hey, look, I deserve this spot because I can do this for you. I can rebound. I can score in a pinch. I, I'm a leader, etc. I think that's what makes this a better fit for Brooklyn. Cause Brooklyn at this point, you know, based on, my opinion of their roster and and where Jacques Vaughn is going to take them into this season. I don't really think they're in a position where they can turn down talent. So if Jalen can show them something in summer league and training camp, you know, in any G league minutes he might get this year, uh, I would be pretty encouraged about what his role can be. And look, the gritty role player can have a 10 year career in the NBA. There's no reason why he can't be an NBA mainstay, just being a good teammate and a good second unit guy that guy can be very valuable in the nba and hopefully it's a very lucrative career for jalen as well so i don't know if it's as you know on paper natural of a fit like grady to toronto was but there should be minutes for jalen at least early on in his career with this brooklyn team well and and you kind of jumped right into my, the thought that i was going to have like brooklyn's one of the few teams i think in the league that does not have a veteran like glue guy, right? Who does a lot of the different things that doesn't have a high projection at a particular role, but can kind of be an all arounder, um, or at least from from what I've seen from them. And so, you know, there's room for a young guy to come in and try to fill that role. Jalen, I don't like when you get drafted in the second round. You're looking for one of two ways to make a roster, right? You're either looking to be that that guy that, you know, is the garbage collector, the utility man on the end of the bench as a young player that can come in when they need to fill some minutes and you can kind of just do a bunch of different things um, because the organization doesn't have someone like that. Or you need to be a young stud who can do something absolutely so well that they just can't keep you off the floor. Um, Jalen Wilson can't do that. Like, like you talked about, he does not have that athletic ceiling in one particular skill that's just going to jump off the page but he is that guy he showed in his time at Kansas you know the championship year he was a completely different player than last year where he actually took over the team when needed and I think when you get a young guy who has the ability to do a lot of different things you have to also have confidence that if they are called upon to take the lead in a particular game that they have the ability to do that Jalen Wilson has shown that in his college career so you talked about it being, you know, a guy that, that can win. I think it's 
it's just as much about having, you know, being a guy who can do a lot of different things. And when they call on you to be able to fill a role, you know, you're there, you're able to do it. That's very difficult to find in a young guy. Normally the ones that you see filling those roles are the guys that have been in the league for four or five years. You know, maybe the peak skills that they have have kind of, you know, cool, cool down a little bit, but they're still very productive. I think Jalen Wilson has an opportunity to jump into that role with Brooklyn um, in a way that most organizations can't really give him because they already have those guys who have settled into those positions and they don't have room for another one on the roster. And the other thing that I think of when I think of what Jalen can do at the next level is I hearken back to a comment Bill Self made, and I I wish I could give you a post game when he said this or, or when it came up, but I remember vividly him talking, you know, the comment vividly anyway, about how Jalen is not afraid of the moment, and he's not afraid to take the shot or to do the dirty work or to you know to take the tough matchup, whatever it might end up being, and he had to do that a lot this past year at KU when. There were moments when the offense really looked like it was stuck in the mud and KU really needed someone to just go force their way in and make something happen. Or it was Jalen, go make a play for us. How many times over the course of the year was it it maybe not a great shooting day for, for Wilson? Because there were a number of times during Big 12 play where it was not especially efficient in the way he was able to get the ball in the net, but you still relied on him. You still trusted him that in the big moments, he was going to go make a big play for you. And I hate to like Twitter meme on the guy, but there is a very prominent player for the Brooklyn Nets who is not that kind of player who is going to see the floor for a ton of minutes a game. But you look at a a Ben Simmons and I'm not please make sure this is clear. I am not saying Jalen Wilson as a rookie is going to usurp the minutes of Ben Simmons, but there are plenty of guys across the NBA who are not willing to take that shot or be in that big moment. And that's what I'm trying to get across here is that even in limited time, Hey, we need a run. We need some energy. We need something here from this second unit to propel us onto, you know, a closer game or a lead in the fourth quarter or whatever it might end up being. Can he be that guy? And I genuinely believe he can. He showed that at the college level. He showed that whatever the load is, he can factor into being a part of it. We saw him put up 30-plus points. We saw him score two points in a game over a top-15 team at Allen Fieldhouse where he contributed to a win in other ways that weren't scoring. I think he is the kind of guy who can make winning plays even if he's not going to be a 10, 12, 15 points a game scorer. And that's why I think he's going to end up fitting with Brooklyn. And, And I'm excited for him. You know, he... He can now play up the chip on his shoulder kind of thing. The dang, I thought I was going to be a, a top 40, top 45 pick. I ended up being a pick at, at 51. I went behind a guy who I beat once at K-State uh, this past year, Keontae Johnson, who had one pick earlier to the Thunder. So I think he'll get to play that up. I think he'll be very comfortable with that. The bright lights of Brooklyn are not going to be too bright for him. And, and I'm excited. I, I'm very curious how they're going to use him. But I think whatever way they try to, he'll he'll find a way to make that role successful. Yeah, I mean, and, and to your point about Ben Simmons, he's developed a reputation for a very good reason. So it's not like it's mm-hmm. completely outside the realm of possibility that he might take some time off uh, in one way or another, and it would give Wilson that opportunity. So I will be very interested to see how Wilson is able to make his mark uh, in the NBA. So I am looking forward to that. But, Brendan, thank you so much for joining me. Make sure you guys catch him over on 580 Sports Talk uh, every single weekday uh, on 580 WIBW AM over in Topeka. Uh, yeah, but, uh, Brandon, thank you so much. When, when we come back, we will be right back, uh, with Jeremy Warner of 24 seven sports, uh, the Illinois site there talking about and previewing Illinois football for the upcoming season. We'll be right back on the rock chalk podcast.
Welcome one, welcome all, and you are listening live to the one, the only, Tortillas and Takes podcast. From football to softball to track and field, tune in to get the best coverage in everything that is Texas Tech. Not only that, but find out what unsuspecting star we get to interview and put on the hot seat. Whether you like corn or flour, eating them or throwing them, this tortilla is for you. So listen to Tortillas and Takes. And as always, stay wrecked, people. And we're back. I am joined now by Jeremy Warner of Illinois Acquirer. Uh, I think I said that right, but uh, we are here to talk about Illinois football finally getting started with our opponent preview series here in the summer. Um, Jeremy, how are you doing today? Doing well. Yeah, I think when uh, Illinois and Kansas both scheduled this series, I, I think they expected this game to be a little bit easier, um, but both made really good hires. Um just, just to go off on a tangent to start this, uh, Lance Leipold in that Mac championship game, when he led Buffalo, uh, they ended up losing that game, but, um, we thought he was going to be the guy, uh, it was between him and Brett Bielma. I think either would have been a great hire. Uh, I think both fit, uh, what Illinois was looking for. And, you know, Lance Leipold goes to Kansas, which I, as we know is as tough of a job, if not tougher than Illinois. And, uh, he's doing a fantastic job there. So I've been paying attention to him. Uh, I like what he's building there. He's a culture builder. Kind of reminds me of, Jerry Kill, uh, what, what he did at Minnesota after coming from the Mac. So uh, it's great to see Kansas football doing well uh, because I think he's a heck of a coach. Yeah, it's it's, it's funny because I, I do agree. I think when they scheduled this game, both teams were thinking, hey, our program might be on the rise at this point. Let's schedule something that will help us ease into the schedule. And, of course, it's not, you know, it's it's now on a, a primetime matchup between two up-and-coming teams who are, I think, depending on who you talk to, could potentially have some fringe consideration for top 25 um, at least if they show out really well in, in, in the first week of the season. So, um, yeah, I'm very interested to kind of see how, uh, Illinois is able to kind of, is, is able to develop. Now they are operating, of course, under a new coaching regime from the last time that most people probably paid attention to, to Illinois. Um, Levy Smith is, is no longer coaching them. And so how, how has the new program kind of really come together? They, they had a great year last year, but was that, was that an actual turning point for the program or was it more of a, Hey, things went really well. So we had a phenomenal year and they might be coming back down to earth a little bit. Yeah. To answer your last question, I think that remains to be seen. I think that's why this uh, upcoming year is so big. Illinois uh, in its recent history. And, and by that, I mean, the 21st century has had these blips of good seasons uh, in 2001. They won the big 10 championship the last time they won it. Uh, Kirk Kittner, Brandon Lloyd, a couple of names to know guys who were drafted. Um, and they went to the the sugar bowl and played LSU and Rohan Davey and, and LSU and Josh Reed. Uh, those guys beat Illinois, but then six years later, Ron Zook kind of injects these five star recruits, great recruiting classes in Illinois. And they surprisingly make the Rose bowl game, uh, back in 2007 lost to USC. They just weren't at the same level talent wise, but, um, then they weren't able to sustain it, either of those. Uh, they followed those up with losing seasons. So what Josh Whitman was looking for in Brett Bielema was somebody who could sustain success. Uh, that has been elusive for Illinois. They have these good seasons, and then they follow them up with bad seasons, and then they kind of bottom out. Um, Lovey Smith brought some credibility to the program. He, he Illinois at the time when Lovey Smith was hired was an absolute train wreck. They had scandals all over the program, including abuse scandal in football with Tim Beckman, the head football coach. Uh, they had an interim coach that they hired found a two-year deal uh, after that uh, because their athletic director was fired. They had an interim athletic director. Their basketball uh, program, which is a proud program, not quite Kansas, but a really good program, um, they 
had a bunch of arrests off the field. They had to fire their head coach there. Women's basketball had an abuse scandal. So it was really just an absolute, um, you know, bleep show here <laughs> to, for, for no better term of it. Uh, but Lovey Smith brought some credibility, brought some stability. Uh, what he did not bring was a really good staff. Um, you know, he was able to get some talent in the transfer portal, was able to get some early recruiting wins, but they just did not develop the most of that talent. But he did leave some talent for Brett Bielma, and Brett Bielma has made the most of it. Um, Devin Witherspoon was a great find for Lovey Smith. He developed into a, a number five overall draft pick. Um, Quan Martin, Sidney Brown, really good finds by Lovey Smith, but those guys turned into top 100 draft picks under Brett Bielma. Same with Kirby Joseph. Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph, really good defensive line recruiting wins. And Brett Bielma has gotten the most out of them, and they're probably going to be NFL draft picks next year. So uh, Brett Bielma has a, has hired a staff that I think Iowa, Wisconsin, those level of programs would be proud of. It's still a developmental program, just like Kansas. Illinois is not going out there and winning a bunch of four- and five-star recruiting battles. But they find guys with traits, they develop them, and they play pretty smart football. They still got to get to another level when it comes to speed, when it comes to quarterback play. Uh, but Brett Bielma has just brought competent uh, football back to Illinois where they're in most of their games. They they battled Michigan until the final minutes last year. Had a lead in Ann Arbor until the final minutes. Almost spoiled their college football berth. They crushed Wisconsin last year. They beat Iowa for the first time in a long time. Uh, and really, Illinois started the year off 7-1. They ended up disappointing because they lost four of their last five. But they were in all of those games, and they were kind of you know, heart-wrenching losses. So uh, Brett Bielma is going to have Illinois in most games. They're not going to make a lot of mistakes. But can the offense take another step forward this year? That that's, remains to be seen. And can their defense um, maintain its its greatness uh, after losing their defense coordinator, Ryan Walters, to Purdue? Those are the main questions going into the season. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's funny because as you were talking about the Illinois program, I mean, it's basically a, a similar kind of story to what, to what happened with Kansas. You know, you had Les Miles come, who gave the Jayhawks some credibility after David Beatty. Um, you know, found a bunch of recruits, but wasn't able to do anything with them. And then Lance Leipold comes in and helps develop the guys. Now, I don't think Kansas had quite the draft success, but I think part of that too is just because, um, you know, it is it is Kansas. So unfortunately, Kansas is not known for putting any guys out at all, and they didn't have an NFL coach, you know, who who came in and was able to to kind of help, I guess, mold guys in a way that uh, that, that could allow them to jump up draft stock wise. But I mean, it's it's the same sort of thing. Lance Leipold, you know. Uh, getting some talent to start with that allowed him to kind of jumpstart his process and put his his program together here very, very quickly. I think that both of these schools have used the transfer portal really well to be able to find guys to fill holes. Um, you know, speaking of holes, I mean, kind of talking about what, what you started with there, which is, you know, Illinois last year was really known for their defense. And, yep. and not only did they lose the defensive coordinator, but they also lost quite a few of their defensive contributors. How how does Illinois kind of come back from that and maintain that identity? And and like who who are the main guys that are returning that are going to allow them to kind of live up to that? And what new guys are going to need to step up in order for them to actually have an opportunity to do it? Yeah, when uh, we knew Ryan Walters was going to get hired as a head coach at some point, and we had a pretty good idea that um, Brett Pielmo was going to promote from within. We thought Kevin Kane would be that guy uh, to be the defense coordinator next because he'd been an FBS coordinator to SMU at Northern Illinois and had success. But Brett Bielma went with another guy who helped develop those secondary guys, including Devin Witherspoon, and that was Aaron Henry. Aaron Henry's never been a play caller at this level for games. 
Uh, but he is a special personality. He's he's kind of this big leader, a uh, very vocal guy. So Brett Bielma kind of you know, really put his chips in with the younger guy, maybe with a higher ceiling. Uh, Ryan Walters hired Kevin Kane to be his defensive coordinator, so he's also a Big Ten uh, defensive coordinator. But uh, he went with Aaron Henry, but Aaron Henry is surrounded by some experienced guys. Andy Boo, the linebacker's coach, has been a defensive coordinator at four different FBS programs, including Rutgers and Maryland. So he's got Big Ten D.C. experience. Terrence Jameson, the defensive line coach, got a co-defensive coordinator title, and has done a great job of developing the defensive line. So we still got to see, how does Aaron Henry call plays? Because Ryan Walters, he was a Broyles Award finalist. He was one of the best defensive play callers, schemers in the country, and I, I think the world of him. Uh, as a defensive play caller and just getting his team prepared uh, each week for the opponent. So Aaron Henry still got to prove that, but what Aaron Henry does have is a great front seven. Johnny Newton's one of the best defensive linemen in football. He's a projected first round pick. Even if he's not a first rounder, he should go in the first two rounds. Uh, I was surprised he came back to be honest, um, because I didn't know if he could prove much more at the defensive level. He's just an absolute wrecking ball on the interior, um, really athletic, led the defensive lineman uh, in the power five level and pressures according to pro football focus. Then Keith Randolph is a potential high draft pick, 6'5", 300 pounds, really disruptive, really good against the run. Uh, and then they have two all Big Ten edge rushers off the edge. So Kansas, this is going to be one of their toughest tests up front. People don't think about Illinois quite like they think of Iowa or Wisconsin or, or some of those Michigan in the Big Ten. But I think this Illinois defensive front is as good as some of those other programs because of the talent Lovey Smith was able to bring in and Brett Bielma has been able to develop. Gabe Ackes is going to be a high draft pick in a couple of years. He was a freshman All-American last year. Seth Coleman has a chance to be an NFL player. So they look the part up front and they play the part. And they got a couple linebackers coming back. The big questions are in the secondary. They lost four or five starters. All of them are on NFL contracts. Three got drafted in the top 70 picks. Uh, they have some talent there. They've added some transfers there, but a lot of those guys are really inexperienced. So um, against, you know, Daniels and Kansas in their passing offense, I think that's going to be a huge early test for the secondary, but the key is going to have to be for that defensive front to get pressure, to, to, to make Daniels feel that. So uh, that that's going to be an early thing for me to watch is I think Kansas is going to, you know, in their offense and what Daniels is able to do is that dynamic threat uh, I, I think that's going to be a huge test for Illinois and kind of a, a good test for for Kansas up front, too, to to see how they handle one of the better defensive fronts in the country, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be very interesting because Kansas was one of the teams that gave up the least number of sacks last year. Um, so the, the offensive line, while they're not a traditional, you know, high draft pick like you would think NFL, like at the next level offensive line, they're a very cohesive unit. Uh, they were able to do a lot of different things. And of course, they're helped out a lot by the fact that Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean, both of the quarterbacks that played for the Jayhawks last year and who both will see significant time this year, um, they're, they're very mobile guys. They like to get out and run. They like to play on the sidelines. They like to do a lot of different stuff. I think you talk about the strength of the Illinois defensive front. Um, how are they at containment? Because I think that's where Kansas really had a lot of, you know, their their biggest plays was a guy would come in and get a rush, but Daniels would sneak out into the flat or, you know, Bean would would go on a reverse and kind of get them crossed up. How, how well are they able to kind of contain those guys to avoid them extending plays to find holes out in the secondary? Well, what they're really good at is uh, Johnny Newton is, is great at getting pressure on the interior. So, so forcing those things out and then uh, their edge guys are really good. Um, you know, I, 
Illinois didn't play as many quarterbacks quite like what Kansas has. The the athleticism they have there. To be but fair, Brennan, there, there's not really a lot of quarterbacks like what Kansas has. So <laughs> correct. Uh, but Brennan Armstrong uh, at Virginia was a great quarterback two years ago for Virginia. He looked like he wanted to quit by the end of the game. He's athletic. He, he's not as athletic as Daniels, but uh, he's he's a good playmaker. He tore up Illinois a couple of years ago. He. Illinois was wrapping him up all, all game uh, and putting him down in the backfield. Nebraska's had some athletic quarterbacks the last couple of years that Illinois has been able to contain. Heck, J.J. McCarthy in Michigan can really move. I mean, he's probably a better passer than what Kansas has, but he, he can move out of the pocket. But it, it will be interesting, but they're, strong, they're good at it. I mean, Illinois was great at everything defensively last year. And, and you know, with that secondary, if you make any kind of mistakes, they they were – they were definitely taking advantage of it, but a lot of that was from the pressure up front uh, and the the front's ability to stop the run, including to the edge. So um, they the defensive front I can't say enough about. Like I do think it's it's one of the top twenty, top fifteen defensive fronts in college football. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the things to keep an eye on. It's probably the matchup that's going to decide the game because I think Kansas defensively can probably do enough to kind of stalemate the the Illinois offense. Um, who gets the better in that sort of uh, matchup there will go a long way to determining the pace of the game and who is actually able to come out on, on the victorious side. I will say that, you know, Kansas does a lot of interesting things and I'll be interested to see what they break out in this game because there, there was a lot of talk about in, in spring football about dual quarterback uh, kind of looks with the ability to kind of option to either side. Um, you know, Jared Casey is a well-known blocker out on the edge. Uh, I can't count the number of times that he, laid a crucial block out on the edge to break a running back or break Daniels free last year. So I think Kansas has a lot of ways to try to deal with the pressure. The question of course is going to be, um, you know, do you have the right calls in the right situations to set you up for success? And I think this is going to be as much of a coordinator game um, because of the abilities that these guys have um, as it's going to be the actual talent on the field. I think that Kansas has a lot of good talent that could get the better of Illinois if they're in the right situation, much like Illinois could really shut Kansas down if Kansas isn't calling things correctly. I will be very interested. Like you said, they have a brand new defensive coordinator who hasn't really called plays at this point. Kansas has Andy Kotelnicki, who was, you know, early consideration for offensive coordinator of the year. I mean, he does a lot of very, very unique things and is very, I mean, very creative in the way that he tries to attack on offense. So, um, you know, I, I, I also see this as a game that's probably going to be two different halves. Like, Kansas mm -hmm. was one of the teams that changed the most from first half to second half all of last year. You saw multiple times where they got down really early and then came back in the second half as they adjusted to what the other team was doing. I think that's going to be very interesting. I do want to I do want to ask though because I I think the marquee matchup is that Illinois defense against the Kansas offense. But what about on the other side of the ball? Like who is the quarterback for Illinois this year? I know you guys have several that are on the roster that could potentially you have a transfer that came in um, from Ole Miss. But I I don't know that based off of what I've seen, like he's not a shoe in to be the starter because he, he didn't play a ton at Ole Miss. So what is that situation like and what are they looking to do offensively? Yeah, I mean, we talk about offense against defense for Kansas against Illinois, Kansas offense against Illinois defense. That's a battle of strengths, right? Um, the other battle is the battle of weaknesses that, that we, we have to see. How big a steps forward does Kansas defenses take after being 124th in the country uh, in scoring defense? How big of a step does Illinois take after taking a small step forward, but still uh, being one of the middle of the pack to lower of the pack uh, Big Ten offenses last year? 
But Luke Altmaier is the transfer you're referring to from, from Ole Miss. Former four-star prospect, had offers from Alabama. Uh, he was a big-time prospect, uh, but he ended up, you know, being behind Jackson Dart, who they brought in as a transfer, was behind Matt Corral. Um, and, and Jackson Dart had a heck of a year. They get, went into the year as co-starters. They each started a game. Uh, but then Altmaier got hurt, and uh, Jackson Dart took uh, over the role and, and had a really good year. Now he's in a battle for another starting spot as Ole Miss brought in uh, another transfer guy. But uh, Altmaier will be the starting quarterback. Barring injury, he will be the starting quarterback. He got all the first-team reps, basically, uh, during the spring. He's the most talented He's not experienced. He has some experience. He played in the Sugar Bowl against a top 10 Baylor team and at least gave his team a chance going into the fourth quarter, but he made a few mistakes, as you expect. So I do expect some growing pains. I think that's the advantage here for Kansas is they have quarterbacks who are way more tested. Luke Altmaier is not all that tested, but he does have poise. Uh, he, he is accurate. He's got really good touch, but he just hasn't been in those game situations. In a away game, I know Kansas isn't quite, you know, they, they no, no offense to the fans there. It's not quite going into Death Valley or anything like that, or yeah, Ohio Stadium or Camp Randall. I would say the same thing about Illinois and being at Memorial Stadium. But it is a, you know, night game, Friday night, a, a Power Five opponent against an opponent that had success last year. How will he react when he makes a mistake? That'll be the interesting things to see with Luke Altmaier. But he's talented. Uh, he's a four star. He was a former top two four seven prospect. He's got. I hate saying it, but he's not sneaky. I thought he's just athletic. He can move. I think they're going to use his legs really well. Uh, but uh, Illinois took a step forward last year offensively, but they rode Chase Brown, their All-American running back, most of the year. Um, they need to get vertical more in the passing game. They they were kind of a dink and dunk with Tommy DeVito. He's very accurate. They they moved the ball a little bit better, about four or five more first downs a game, scored a little bit more, four or five more points a game. But they need to be more explosive because they counted on 12 to 15 play drives, uh, and they really struggled once they got into the red zone. They had to settle for a lot of field goals rather than punching in the end zone. Um, so they returned some good receivers. Isaiah Williams is a real big playmaker. Uh, he returns as the the most receptions in the Big Ten from last year. Um, and I, I think he's a, he's a guy in the slot that you got to worry about. Pat Bryant, really good guy, could probably take a, another step forward. Um, but they're, they're looking for some more playmakers and some more playmakers down the field. But it is an offense that is physical. They have a really good offensive line. Couple NFL draft prospects and Isaiah Adams, who could have been a mid round pick last year, is hoping to be a second or potentially first round pick coming up this year. Julian Pearl, their left tackle, is an NFL draft prospect. Uh, so you know Brett Bielma. He's a physical team. They're going to run the football. It's more by committee in the running back uh, room this year, but I, I think that could be uh, potentially a positive to keep guys fresher and, and maybe have guys better at the, the line of scrimmage. But um, Barry Lonnie Jr., who was at UTSA, um, had success there. This is a big year for him to take another step forward because he helped Illinois last year, but for Illinois to to match what they did last year or improve, the offense has to be more explosive. Yeah, it's going to be extremely interesting because Kansas was a team that, while they were 124th in scoring defense you know, over the course of the entire season, um, they were a much different defensive team at home than they were away. Like, the only, you know, like the Texas game is probably the only one where Kansas really got you know, lit up defensively at home with the exception of, you know, TCU in the second half. But I think what this Kansas team showed last year was that they were, were a very opportunistic defense, that if you were a team that had to, you know, do slow methodical drives, 
that usually in a 10-play span, they were good for one pretty impressive negative play. And that, you know, derailed quite a few drives for a lot of opponents, especially at home. Um, I will be very interested to see if Illinois, one, can be more quick hitting to kind of keep up because Kansas always looks to go down the field whenever they can. Um, offensively, if, you know, if, if they can get a nice big sweep, uh, you know, I mean, they're really good on downfield blocking and they can turn a lot of short passes into long runs. Um, they were also susceptible to that a lot defensively. And so it'll be interesting, I think, to see if Illinois is able to take advantage of that. I, I do think the way you're talking about the physicality reminds me a lot of, you know, Arkansas from, from the Liberty Bowl game last year, um, which makes sense given the, you know, coaching history over at Arkansas. So, but, you know, I, I do think that Kansas has some experience with that, has some ability. And, and what they really ran into last year was that their defensive line was not able to really stand up to some of the more physical offensive lines. Um Offensive line, how, how does that look for Illinois this year? Yeah, they lost a couple starters. Alex Pelcheski was a six-year starter, set the FBS yeah. record uh, in, in, with career starts. Alex Pilstrom uh, started at center for them, was a former t- walk-on tight end. Uh, so center is a question mark for them, but they, they feel really good about what they have with Isaiah Adams and Julian Pearl back. Those are two anchors. They're both going to play on the left side. Isaiah Adams... Uh, had 120 knockdowns last year. That's what Illinois basically calls pancakes. Um, and he led the team, of course. The year before, the guy who led the team was a draft pick of the Chicago Bears named Doug Kramer, had about 80. So that, that tells you how oh physical gosh. he is. <laughs> Julian Pearl, really long, really athletic, uh, good blindside pass protector. So that left side's a really good strength. Center, they got question marks. They brought in the Juco kid, Will Lease, um, who's going to compete with Josh Kruitz. That last name might be familiar. Some people, Owen Kreutz was a really good uh, center for the Bears, Pro Bowler. Uh, that's his son. So he might have a chance to, to win the job. Um, and then Zai Chrysler returns as a starter. Juco kid as a sophomore was a solid starter for them. They expect him to take a step forward. And then either Jordan Slaughter's kind of been the sixth man the last couple of years, uh, and Josh Geskier, uh, a right tackle going in his redshirt sophomore year. Uh, those are kind of the inexperienced starters, though Slaughter has is, is played plenty during his career. So offensive line, they were one of nine semifinalists for the Joe Moore award last year. So they were really good. Um, I think they can be as good. Can they be better is, is the question. Um, I I think it's going to be a strength of the team. I think it's going to be, you know, going into against Kansas. I think that's one of Kansas's concerns is how good the Illinois and how physical the Illinois offensive line can be. Cause you know, just looking at the Kansas stats gave up a lot of rushing yards last year and, and, and Illinois, despite losing chase Brown, all-American running back. They have some talented running backs that behind a, a good offensive line uh, can can definitely be productive. So uh, that's definitely one of the strengths of the offense for Illinois. Yeah, I, I do I do caution some people, and I've actually, I have an article coming out over on Blue Wings Rising probably sometime in the next week here or so, um, kind of talking about that, right? Because I think what a lot of people pointed to when they're talking about this team is that Kansas lost to a lot of rushing teams and, and, you know, they had a lot of problems stopping the run. And a lot of that, and I looked back on it, you know, Kansas was a team last year that did not have a very good high end front seven. What they had was a lot of serviceable guys that there was not a very big drop off. And so when they were super successful, they were able to rotate guys in and they would give up some yards in, you know, the first and second quarter, third and fourth quarter, they'd wear you out because they had fresh guys with absolutely fresh legs that could just come at you and, and wear you down at that point. Um, when they played teams like Oklahoma, who had, you know, physical guys up front who could go up tempo and very quick 
and yeah. be physical. And then Kansas couldn't get those subs in. That's where they ran into some issues, and they got absolutely gashed by teams that were able to do that. I'm not sure, from what I've seen from Illinois, I'm not sure that they have that same sort of tempo, that same sort of ability to do that thing. Plus, yeah. Kansas has made a change this year. You know, they lost a lot of those guys on the front seven. They brought in some very big transfers, some guys that were four stars coming out of high school that, you know, were stuck behind guys at Auburn or stuck behind guys at other places where they didn't get a chance immediately that are coming in with three or four years of eligibility that should be higher ceiling guys. The question, of course, is going to be how quickly can they get to that ceiling? Yeah, just to give you your fans an idea of what Illinois brings offensively is, yes, they're physical. Like, Brett Bielma teams are always going to be physical. There's a lot of 12 personnel. When you think of 12 personnel, you're thinking of uh, three yards and a cloud of dust. That right. is not what Illinois is trying to do. Barry Lunny has kind of mixed this physical 12 personnel a lot of times with some spread tendencies. You will see them in shotgun formation. You're going to see um, you know, RPOs. You're going to see shovel passes to Isaiah Williams. You're going to see screen passes out on the corner, and then you're going to see a lot of play action. That's where they need to improve is those play action, deep passes. That's why they want to establish the run. But it's kind of this interesting modern mix of this RPO base, shotgun base, but also with this physical kind of pro style mentality. They can, and they, they like to tempo it up every once in a while when they can't. So if they get first downs, they want to tempo you uh, and their offensive line practices that way. So it's an interesting thing. I don't think it, it never hit all cylinders quite last year, except for maybe against Wisconsin. But um, the idea of it is is really interesting if they're able to take a, a, another step forward in year two of knowing the terminology, knowing what Barry Lunny wants, and Barry Lunny knowing his personnel. Yeah, I think this, this game is coming down essentially to who is going to take that next step faster because I think Kansas has a lot of things. They've made a lot of changes that would allow them to take advantage of the type of team that Illinois was last year. I think Illinois is making a lot of changes that would allow them to take advantage of the type of team that Kansas was last year. The question becomes who is able to get into their new system, able to integrate their new parts, and do the things that they're trying to switch to in this game. I do think that the fact that this is the second game of the season is probably beneficial for a team like Kansas who had lots of injury issues in the in the defense that you know caused them to break down on coverages and and you know have big gaps in the middle on defense. I'm not saying that that, you know, health is going to paper over everything or try to blame it all on that. But I do think that it gives Kansas more options, more things to do. And this is a make or break year for Brian Borland for for Kansas. You know, last year there was, you know, they brought in a ton of transfers last year. We're trying to integrate a whole bunch of guys into their system. With the exception of the defensive line, they pretty much have everybody back, all their major contributors. And so this is the opportunity for him to show what he can do to really get them to a point where, you know, they are doing the system now with guys that they want to be here, um, can they shut down a team like in Illinois who has a really good defense and has an up-and-coming offense? Um, both of these teams, I think, are expecting to take a big jump. I know Kansas has talked about their expectations to be 9-3 and three this year, um, hmm. which is going to require them to win this game, I think, just because yeah. of everything going on. So um, I would be inter- or I will be very interested in the way that this one comes together. Um so, so looking at Illinois, what are the realistic expectations for this team this year? Yeah, I mean, eight wins was was a huge step forward for Illinois last year. But as I said, they went four and five to end the season. Uh, I don't expect them to start the season seven and one again. Um, they have a tough schedule early on. Kansas on the road being one of them. Uh, Penn State at home is not a an easy early game. But they miss Ohio State. They miss Michigan. And the Big Ten West is this is the last year of it. But it's an interesting place right now. 
I think Iowa's going to be really good. Their offense can't be any worse than it was last year, but they were still a really good team last year. <laughs> yeah. So it, it can't get worse. And I, I think they should be the favorite in the West. I know Wisconsin, everybody's really high on, but there's a lot of changes, a lot of, a lot of transfers. Uh, and, and I've seen enough of Nebraska adding transfers and making coaching changes that um, I, I think some of that t- takes time to settle in, but they should be good. Um, but they're kind of different, right? Like this could be a transition year for Wisconsin. Purdue has a new coaching staff. Um, Nebraska has a new coaching staff. I think it's a huge upgrade with Matt rule, but it, it's still new. And I think that's a bigger rebuild than most people think. I know Nebraska is always yeah. a trendy pick every off season, but they got a lot of work to do in the Nebraska's trenches. a lot like Texas. Everybody wants to say that they're going to be better. And it, until they actually do it, it's really easy to write it off. Yeah. And they always get transfers that are former four stars, but it's like, well, okay, well, they, those still guys still have to do something on the field. Um, so, I, you know, they could be interesting. They could be more competitive because I think they're uh, much more uh, better coached now with Matt yeah. rule there. Minnesota's solid, but they lost some key pieces. Illinois lost some key pieces, but they return a lot too. Um, so I, I just, it's kind of a muddled mess, but I do think Illinois uh, with, with some continuity roster wise, coaching staff wise, I, I think they are primed to have a good season. I, I think they should be projected as a top four team in the big 10 West, uh, potentially a top three team in the big 10 West. If everything broke right, I could see them winning nine games. Um, if, if, you know, things don't break right. Maybe they're fighting for a bowl game, but I do think with the strengths they have on the offensive and defensive lines with, with how solid Brett Bielman and his staff are, I think this is a bowl team with the difference between six, seven, eight, nine wins is pretty small when you get in the big 10 West, but uh, that Kansas game is going to be a big one there, right? Because if you can get out of the non-conference at three and zero, they have a tough home game against Toledo, who's a good Mac team. Uh, Ford Atlantic should be a win, even though Tom Herman's there now. Um, so it's not an easy non-conference schedule, but it's a manageable one. If they can get out of that 3-0, and I do think Illinois has, has a good chance. But I just think it's a great matchup for Illinois because Kansas does things differently than, than a lot of the teams they see in the Big Ten. I think it could be a good day for the Illinois offense. But uh, offensively, I think Kansas posed a lot of, lot of uh, challenges to a new defensive coordinator and, and a new secondary. Yeah, and I think the one thing you can say regardless is that for both of these teams, it's an early test that's going to expose warts that they can yes. work on to help them to be better in their conference. So Yeah, yeah. that, that could be a real good thing for, for both of these teams. And I, that's why I think the second half could be really interesting is, is these teams feel each other out. You know, maybe we overrate second half adjustments, but I, I know some of this coaching staff doesn't think that. They they think the second half adjustments are huge because oh, it kind of yeah. gives yeah. everybody a chance. So um, I, I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Kansas and Illinois are in very similar situations where a bowl game should be an expectation for this year, potentially. You Which know, can I pause and say yeah. what, what, what an I accomplishment? What a, two- well, and what a weird world we're in, right? The, the last time both of these teams were good was back in you know, 2007, 2008 when Kansas went to the Orange Bowl and Illinois went to the Rose Bowl, and it was a completely different world back then. So I'm hoping that we are seeing the rise of both of these programs and maybe the way we'll have an opportunity to face each other as ranked teams at some point in the near future. And can we, before I leave, can we get a home-and-home Illinois-Kansas basketball series? Because to see Bill Self back, I think it's time for that to happen. I mean, I wouldn't mind it, but I do know that, well, you know, Bill Self has, is, is a very, is- very good scheduler, and I, I don't know. And you know, it would almost have to be a forced situation. I think, much like Kansas and Missouri, for the longest time, did not play because Bill Self just didn't want to. Um, 
you know. Heck, let's, let's do – I think Illinois fans will be fine. They'll go once to Kansas so they can go uh, to Allen Fieldhouse, once to Kansas City, and just come to Champaign once. Because I think it's yeah, time for – Yeah, there we go. You know, do do the, the whole Missouri thing, right? You do two in each location and two in the Sprint Center. How's that? Yeah, so I, I think it's time for for Bill Self, which obviously he left for for Kansas. Nobody, yeah, I can't. Um, but uh, didn't take too kindly to that. Illinois fans didn't. But I think so. So much time has gone past. He set up Illinois for its best or, or most successful team ever. I say um, it, it feels to me a lot like the whole Roy Williams situation, right? Where Roy Williams went well, to UNC, they wouldn't play for the longest time, mainly because Roy didn't want to. Um, right. and then you know when they finally got to the point, enough time had passed that everybody could appreciate what yes. was going on there. So, um, yeah, I would, I would love it. I mean, I love to watch what Illinois basketball has done. Um, you know, they've had some really, really good teams and, you know, they've had some recruiting battles that have been, uh, interesting and entertaining for a whole bunch of people. But so for those that want to catch up on what Illinois is and kind of keep tabs on them before the season starts, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you can check out alanainquire.com. It's 24-7 sports slash college slash Illinois if you want to check that out. Uh, we also have a podcast, Alana Inquire podcast. We're going to do some position previews coming up so uh, you guys can get to know uh, more about Illinois that way. But, yeah, there are a lot of similarities. They play a little bit different, um, but uh, two similar programs. That's why I, I find this this matchup uh, fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be awesome. Well, maybe we can talk again before the actual game during that week of. But, Jeremy, thank you so much. Uh, if if people want to find you on Twitter, what's what's the best way to do that? At jwarner247. Awesome. All right. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please go out wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe. Get every episode as soon as it comes out. You can give us a rating and a review. Five stars, nice comments. It would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference, including all of the new ones. We almost have a podcast for every single school in the conference. Um, so make sure you go over to 1012network.com and find all of those great links. Homefield Apparel, sponsor here on the podcast. Go and support them. Use promo code CHOCK12 to get a fantastic deal. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.